0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler with a preview of this week's episode of Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating black culture through the complicated lens of agriculture. We speak to Carla Hall about her uncompromising soul food recipes.
2: And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I changing my family's history? For another culture.
1: We also hear from Gabriela Rodriguez at Harlem Growns Youth Farm Uptown. About empowerment and, you know, community resilience building through this work. Um, food is kind of just a vehicle. Leah Penniman addresses feeling like an outsider in the farming community. I could count on my two hands the number of, of people who appeared to be POC, people of color. Mm. And so I literally would go around little slips of paper and, and, and say, hey, meet at one o'clock under this tree so we can talk. Tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network that's Meat Plus sign T H R E E available wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Cheese. 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 Cheese.
4: Hello. This is Diane Stemple on cutting the curd on Heritage Radio Network. And today, I am welcoming Steve Jones and Adam Lindsley to the show to discuss their amazing book, Cheese, Beer, Wine, and Cider, A Field Guide to 75 Perfect Pairings. Welcome to you both. Hi, Diane. Thank you. Ah, it's so, this book has blown my mind, I have to say. I would say I know something about beer. I know something small about wine. I know almost nothing about cider. But this book is a total education on, um, on everything, on all four ingredients. 75 pairings described so well. I have to congratulate you.
5: Oh, wow. Thanks. Anyway. Yeah, thank you.
4: So... um. How long, oh, I can't even imagine, how long did this take to figure out this book? Steve, you want to go? <laughs> three and a half years. That was a lot of eating and tasting and drinking you were doing.
2: Yeah, a lot of it was really fun. Yeah, <laughs> I
5: yeah, yeah. If, if you're going to do research, that's pretty good research to do
4: <laughs> It comes across It definitely comes across And I was frustrated In that I wasn't Drinking and Reading at the same time That's
5: a good you can reaction I can, I can <laughs> And I will
4: <laughs> But you know, when you're Reading in, in a bit of a rush You can't uh get all the alcohol lined up. Hmm. Anyway, so how much did you know before you started?
5: Gosh, do you, do you want to talk about uh, <laughs> your journey?
4: Yes. Tell me, Steve, tell me how you got into cheese and beer and wine and cider. Well, cheese has been 20-plus years so far.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. Um,
2: And then wine, beer, and cider were quite often present in in the the places that I was working. Yes. And quite often at the end of the night, we would sit down with with the beverages and the cheese, and and that's kind of where the magic started, for sure.
4: Yes. (laughs) And um, which was your first love with cheese? your beer for sure. Okay.
2: Um I I've always liked all the beverages. Uh-huh. That cider's the real newcomer. But but it's it's kind of the secret weapon.
4: Yeah. Now, um you say in the book very quickly, you end up saying I think that cider is best or easiest to pair.
2: Yeah. Adam, don't you, don't you feel the same way?
5: I, yeah, I do. Yeah, that's kind of one, one big thing that we learned from this whole experience was uh, was just how easy it was to take pretty much any cheese and you could uh, find a cider that went really well with it. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, it makes sense. You know, people have been eating cheese and apples forever. Um, so, of course, cider is going to fit that bill well.
4: Hmm. Gosh, I I don't. I guess I don't make the leap from cider to apples. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know why.
2: Uh-huh.
6: I, I know
4: that it is. Co- <laughs> what?
2: You have a couple of things, though, uh, working in cider's favor. You've, you've you've got the fruit for sure. Yeah, yeah. You've, you quite often have acid. Uh huh. And and then uh, carbonation quite often.
4: Ah, okay, so all three. Yeah,
2: and those those are all ringers for for pairing, for sure. Mm
4: -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Now, uh, what amazed me also, I'm going to read aloud from the book. Um, I love your uh, pairing descriptions. I'm going to read the first one. Um, that you talk about with beer. Drinking a fine American lager with a wedge of death and taxes is to invite harmony into your life. Together, they become one and the same, bolstering each other's most prominent qualities into a cohesive experience without losing any character in either the beer or the cheese. The well-salted Death and Taxes catches the beer's graininess and sugars, clarifying them until they evoke cereal and honeycomb. Meanwhile, the lager connects with the rind, bringing up those cocoa and yeast notes right alongside the beer's highlights, while upping the cheese's creaminess to a decadent level. I mean, Really?
5: I'm getting
4: hungry just to hear (laughs) that. This is, is, when I read that first beer description, or beer beer and that first pair, I thought, oh my God, these guys can write. They know flavors in a very in-depth and interesting way.
5: He, um, yeah. Steve in particular is is so good at at pinpointing those um, oftentimes of really obscure flavors. Um, you know, I'm, I, he has a lot more experience with it than I do. But he'll uh, I'll say, oh, you know, this kind of tastes like um, like nut or something. <laughs> and then Steve will pinpoint like the actual nut. Oh, that's actually like walnut, uh, uh-huh. toasted toasted walnut. Um, so I I learned quite a lot working with him on that.
4: So he he is the um, the genius taster be, of the two of you. Well, Adam's no slouch for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure, and he, I'm sure he improved as you, you know, went along. I think. so. I think we both did. Yeah. 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 Yeah,
2: yeah we both. And did. We, we learned so much. Just Go ahead. The, even like that, the the sidebars that we wrote, the quick bites. Yes. Yes. That that was my favorite part of the whole book was just going deep on these little bitty subjects.
6: Uh-huh.
4: Yes, I was wondering who decided what Now now, when you planned the book, what were you thinking it would be, and how did it change along the course of writing it? Do you remember Adam?
5: Yeah, specifically with the sidebars, or um...
4: well or, or no, with the, so... with the whole book.
5: The whole book, yeah. Well, I mean, originally we had um, planned to pair uh, a beer and a wine and a cider with every single cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we started to get into actually researching the book, we realized what an enormous undertaking that would have been. Right. Um, three and a half years wouldn't have been even, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't have scratched the surface of that. Um, yeah. So we, we realized that. that Really finding a really good match with one cheese and one beverage um, was the way to go. Okay. So that was that was one big change. Okay. Um, but the those quick bites, those sidebars were there from the very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Steve and I both latched onto that idea
3: mm-hmm.
5: um, of you know stepping you know just to the side of uh, of cheese or, or beer, wine, and cider, and mm-hmm. kind of digging a little deeper into uh, some of the fun facts that. People don't often hear.
4: Yes, I I, I, it. I found your selection of fun facts very interesting and varied.
5: Yeah, it was it was tough uh, even just narrowing it down to those. to Be honest, mm-hmm. we could have got mm-hmm. we could have written another entire book that was just quick.
4: <laughs> well, wow. there's the future. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so now, how well did you know each other at the beginning? Were were you already friends? How did you meet? Uh, we actually, we
2: met, uh, Adam wrote about a pairing that we did, and it was so well-received. It was by far the best traction that we've ever got on anything that anyone's written about us.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I called Adam up maybe two weeks later, and I said, hey, we were getting great traction. And he replied with, yeah, answer the best best traction we've ever got on something I've written. And so I said, let's let's get a beer and, you know, pack. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning.
5: <laughs> yeah, I had I had known of Steve um, for years. His uh, Here in Portland, um, his cheese appears in so many restaurants in mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see, you know, Steve's Cheese in, written in shock in half the menus in Portland. And um, so I knew him by reputation for sure and had been in uh, Cheese Bar before and seen him around town, but uh, never had formally met him until that uh, that first beer and cheese pairing event that I wrote
4: about.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what it, did, it was just meant to be.
4: Okay, and what did you write about it in? The newspaper or...?
5: Uh, this was for Serious Eats, which is um, an online food um, website.
4: hmm Okay. Now, the beers in the book seem more unusual to me than the wines. Is that my imagination? Or do I just uh recognize wine types more easily?
2: I think there all the beverages are pretty varied uh-huh uh i I think beer has has such an esoteric range
6: uh-huh
2: it may it may appear to be more extreme
4: uh-huh
2: I mean that's part of why I love beer with the cheese
4: mm-hmm, Cause there's so many different tastes.
2: Yeah, I mean you can go from super super bitter to super sweet. Mm-hmm. You can be 3% alcohol, you can be 13% alcohol. Mhm. It's, it's just such a range. Mhm.
3: Mhm.
5: Yeah. yeah, and I um I don't think we got too obscure on the beer styles. Um, it was a little more difficult to find 25 styles of cider.
6: Uh-huh. Um, just because Yeah. It,
5: that, that style is by far the, the least varied. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for the beers, you can find those styles in, in any city in
4: okay. the U.S. Okay. Now, what about the prices? You don't include any. Mm-hmm. How expensive would it be to do this whole book as a <laughs> consumer? All, as a consumer. Every pairing?
2: Oh. Yeah. I, I mean most of these beverages really are not super extreme in price,
4: okay. I mean, I thought uh, the wines them, had um had some lower possibilities for wine
5: yeah
2: for for certain, you could be coming in under twenty five a bottle yeah yeah
5: and, and on in most the beer and the beer inside will be even cheaper than that, well, but that's yeah.
4: because they're smaller amounts, right. Not necessarily cheaper per liquid, you know, per amount. Yeah, per ounce.
2: I mean, beer's getting up there with wine these days. Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, um, okay, so I didn't care. I mean, I know how expensive cheese is, and I don't really care, but I was wondering uh, how, you know, what the cost would be to do the whole book because I, of course, you know, have plans to do it. Uh, <laughs> Good <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so so you weren't already friends, but you met, and then um, what else changed in the book plan? Did did you both write? Did you write together? Did you write separately? Did you make assignments?
5: Yeah, all so. the above. <laughs> go ahead.
4: <laughs> uh, go, go ahead, Adam.
5: Okay. Um, yeah. So. The, the typical um, pairing, it would go, we would so we would meet at Cheese Bar,
3: mm-hmm.
5: um, and early on, we would um, have these big spreads, um, lots of cheeses, lots of different beers and wines and ciders, um, and, you know, that gets a lot of looks from uh, other people who are <laughs> dining at Cheese Bar, uh, lots of jealous, hungry looks. Yeah. Um, but we quickly realized that... Uh, the, the smarter way to do it was to really um, really cut down on the number of options that we're looking at. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you you will find a a good match in that. Yeah. But if you're um, pairing so many cheeses and so many beverages, you quickly lose track of what works and what doesn't.
4: Right, and your um, and your palate gets tired.
5: Yeah, and your palate gets tired. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So we would um. We quickly pair that down to these smaller little tasting sessions. Okay. And um, we would take both take copious notes
3: mm-hmm. um,
5: as we tasted each combination.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Um. And then uh, at the end of the, evening, end of the evening, I would take that back and um, kind of compile the notes and then start to, you know, put together a shell for what that tasting would look like if we found one that worked. Okay. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just kind of pass it back and forth.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
5: until we get it, sounded
4: good. Okay, okay. Now we have to take a break. Uh, I'll be right back to talk with uh, my two guests, Steve Jones and Adam Linsky, uh, about their book Cheese, Beer, Wine, and Cider. Or it's not actually an end, but cider.
1: This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chao while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org slash events.
4: Hi, Diane Stemple back on Heritage Radio Network on Cutting the Curd, talking to Adam Lindsley and Steve Jones about their new book, which the undertitle is A Field Guide to 75 Perfect Pairings. So um, how did you both get into cheese? Maybe, uh, Adam, tell me. I think we might know how Steve got into cheese. But Adam, (laughs) tell me how you got into cheese.
5: Um, just through, um, wanting to, um, just be a part of anything, anything that tasted good, <laughs> to put it as uh, bluntly as that. Okay. Um, you know, for years I wasn't really, uh, didn't really pay attention to food. Um, I was in Los Angeles for a number of years and, uh, it wasn't until my, uh, the very end of my tenure there, like around 2007, that I, uh started to pay attention to food Uh and um, start going to good restaurants. Um, And through that, then you start becoming exposed to great cheese on the side. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I moved back up here to Portland um, and started seeing Steve's cheese in every restaurant, um, (laughs) and that kind of led me to Cheese Bar, um, which is just a mecca for uh, for cheese here in Portland. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I have to give all credit... To Steve for really opening my uh, my eyes to how uh, how great cheese is and how uh, just how uh, varied it is.
4: And um, Adam, what was your first? uh, Which booze did you like first?
5: Uh, I definitely came to wine first. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't. I didn't really get into beer until I moved back up here to Portland mm-hmm. around that same time, because mm-hmm. um, beer just wasn't a thing in Los Angeles right. in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody drank wine, right? So um, wine's first, but uh, after I grew, after I found beer, um, <laughs> it definitely moved into my number one spot. Uh huh. Um, and then I I started home brewing at home. Um, and visiting breweries wherever I, wherever I go now. Mm-hmm. So.
4: Oh, okay, okay. Now cider, um, there was a brief resurgence in the '90s. I read, I think, in your book, and mm-hmm. then it explodes after 2010. Now, why do you think it's exploded? Do, are they copying beer? What What's going on? I think that they're definitely following in the path
2: that beer started. Uh Uh-huh. But it's also the gluten issue. Uh Uh-huh. So it's becoming, it's that inexpensive, you know, sessionable beverage Mm -hmm. that doesn't have gluten. Oh. But then, I mean, also the artisan ciders out there, it's day and night where it was 15 years ago. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, one of your great pairings that I loved reading about was Garocha and Cider. Uh, let's see. Um, and you discussed the difference between British cider, way drier, and American. How did that come to pass? How did uh, Adam? Do you want to take this one? Yeah, Adam.
5: Sorry, uh, British question, cider.
4: Did, British cider versus American cider. Mm-hmm. What What are the differences? How did that come to pass?
5: So, how did uh, How did cider become less dry here in America?
4: Yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah. That's a, That's a really good question. Um, I mean, the Brits just love that bone dry cider. Um, and I just don't know if American palates uh, have that love as much.
4: Mm-hmm. So you think, like, cider- different nationalities have different uh, ranges of taste? Without a doubt. mm Okay.
2: Okay. American palate is means really sweet. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I'm sure you even see this with cheese, you know, but the sweeter cultures of cheese these days. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that naturally our palate leans a little more to that sweeter end. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, yeah. You see that in, like you mentioned, cheese and especially cheddar.
4: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Do you see a difference between East Coast and West Coast in this country? You
2: definitely do with beer more than you
4: do cider. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you're starting
2: to see some real regional differences with cider also. hmm Yeah, I was... But I was with beer, like... At, you know. at, oh, sorry. Steve? At, at, Steve. Sorry. Uh, they, the, like, West Coast-style IPAs compared to a Midwest IPA compared to an East Coast IPA,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's such a huge gradation. Mm-hmm. mm And I think we're starting to see that with cider, but but it's, like, everything, It's it's... Five, six, seven years behind.
3: Mhm.
5: Mhm. Yeah. Um I was gonna say I was just in New England uh in this past year and uh went hit up a bunch of cideries when I was there and I was um uh, surprised by how, how similar in flavor they taste to the ones that I can I can get here in the Pacific Northwest. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, although in Vermont you have um ice cider which you don't see too much outside of that.
4: Right. Now, explain to me, um, the book talks about single varietal ciders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam, can you explain that a little bit for our listeners?
5: Yeah, so most cider is made with um, a combination of different cider apples. Uh-huh. Um, and single varietal uh, really just focused on one, one apple um, and, and really highlight the, the characteristics of that apple.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
5: so you'll see a lot of uh, traditional cider apples like Kingston Black um, or Wixen that uh, that manage to have enough balance to them, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the sweetness with the acid and the bitterness, um, where it can stand alone, where a lot of cider apples can't do that. They'll be too sweet or too bitter or um, too acidic, um, so they're really those single varietals are really fun to just really uh, highlight everything great about that one apple.
4: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Here's another great example of your uh, attitude coming across in the book. It's uh, talking about Camembert and uh, one of the artisanal ciders, and it says. Fret not, it's much, much better than it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Once a locally consumed cheese, camembert's popularity exploded after it was included in French soldiers' rations during World War I. Pasteurized milk camembert isn't hard to come by, but PDO-designated Camembert de Normandy, made with unfiltered raw milk, is now produced by fewer dairies than ever before. We can't even get raw milk Camembert in the States because it's only aged about a month, but many producers, French and American, make stellar versions of oodles of savory, uh, with oodles of savory character. That's another one of my favorite uh, passages in the book. I don't know if the book tells you, until you open it, how great it is. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish it would. Yeah, Yeah. I wanted to have on the front, this is a great book. (laughs) 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 Uh,
3: I'm doing my best
4: to encourage our readers, our, our listeners, to buy it. I think we just got a yeah. quote to add
5: it into the next edition there, Diane. <laughs>
4: yeah. Oh, and then what about the peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Oh yeah. Wh where, where Do you Do you guys remember where that is discussed?
5: Yes. Which one was that?
4: I could tell you. <laughs>
5: I think, you know, I think we even had a couple that... that uh, oh, there's more than one
4: like peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Well, well, there's one that was real predominant. I do to remember. Montina. Mountina? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've never true. heard of Mountina.
2: It's kind of like a Fontina-style cheese. Uh-huh. Made in Montana. Yes. <laughs>
4: Now do you sell it um in in uh, on the west coast? Yeah, it rotates through our selection. okay, okay because I have never I've have I don't think I've seen it out here in the East Coast. Yeah, I don't know what their footprint looks like. yeah yeah and then but we did
2: try
4: oh sorry, sorry. we did
2: we did try really hard to include cheeses and beverages from all around the country.
4: And you so, did a good so job. Be, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like many um, cheesemakers, big and small, were included. I felt like there was a good spread. I mean, you, you probably couldn't do as good a job with your beer, wine, and cider. But the cheeses were very fairly distributed. Yeah, and I... We,
2: I think we did a pretty good job in the beverages, too.
4: Okay. Okay. Maybe I know less about them.
2: And <laughs> also, there's so many regions in America that aren't producing wine. Right. So,
4: right. Is that,
2: that's a bit limiting.
4: Right. Now, yeah, which of you uh, wants to tell us about, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Troke, chalk? Uh, something in the Basque country where you go to a cider house and they say a word.
2: Yeah, Adam, I
4: think you wrote that one.
5: Yeah. Okay. Um,
4: Were you there?
5: No, uh, so I haven't been to a Basque one. Um, we actually just have a uh, we have a Spanish cidery here in the Pacific Northwest.
3: Ah. Um, they
5: just had their their annual. Uh, and uh, it's just this party um, where the uh, cider maker opens up his um, his business to the public, uh-huh. um, and uh, they just they're pouring the fresh cider. Um, and typically, people will um, line up
3: mm-hmm.
5: uh, and and just kind of hold their glass in this. Certain position, mm-hmm. where the arc of the cider is going to come out of the barrel and hopefully hit the glass <laughs> and not the floor. Um, and they take a quick swig and then get uh, go to the back of the line, and then everybody just keeps going through. Oh,
4: do it over? Yeah. And do you do you switch uh, winemaker? Uh, do you switch cider makers, or or you just stay at the same party?
5: Um, you you can, I mean, every it's every cidery's own um own thing so uh-huh. you can say it's one cidery and uh, typically they have big um they have big steaks they serve uh-huh. uh medium rare or, uh-huh. or pretty rare actually
4: <laughs> and is cider best when it's fresh uh
5: i most cider um some of it some cider is designed um some higher alcohol ciders designed to be aged uh um but like beer um Precious,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and sometimes there's the oxidative qualities are desirable too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So kind of like sherry, where you're getting those floor that you know, of nutty flavors and stuff that come with oxidation.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Hmm. Well, this is just a, this was a, an example to me uh, with the little thing about the bass country. I think that was in a quick bite. And it was so, I'd never heard of it. I mean, it was like this far-flung piece of information that your book uh, enjoys to uh, tell people about that I thought was really cool.
5: Yeah, and what's great about the Pacific Northwest, there's just so many people who are um, put into beer and cider and wine and cheese, um, and they have all these great stories. Um, So You're talking to these people, and you just... You hear something like, oh, this would be good to explore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that was one of them. Just, we just decided to research a little bit more and mm-hmm. found this wonderful tradition.
4: Now, one thing I want to ask you, Steve, is about uh, your smackdowns, your beer and wine smackdowns. When did you start those? Do you still do them? Uh, what is your purpose? So we started them... I'm guessing about ten years ago, uh,
2: with Feast Portland, they wanted me to be a moderator on a panel, mm-hmm. and it was going to be beer versus wine, and that could have been really mundane and dry. Uh
6: huh.
2: And and I was like, well, who, who wants to sit through that? <laughs> so so I said, hey guys, let's make this be like a a boxing match. Uh huh. And so we made a very, very it's like physical, basically. I, you know, we were we were throwing adjectives at each other like punches, <laughs> uh, it, it it was a lot of a lot of uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for?
4: Rowdy. Yeah, oh, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you were on the beer side, and somebody would be on the wine side, or no?
2: I was the referee, so I was presenting a cheese. Oh, okay. And then, like uh, Christian De Benedetti, who wrote the Great American Ale Trail, mm-hmm. was representing beer. Mm-hmm. And then we had a uh, few different people do wine, like Marissa Ross from Bon Appetit, mm-hmm. and David Lynch. Mm-hmm. And so we did many, many different battles. Uh, but yeah, I would present the cheese, and then they would duke it out over which beverage would win.
4: Okay, and who? How did the audience decide who who the actually won?
2: Yeah. You know, and uh, wine won more often than beer. Oh. Which, yeah, I was always bummed out about. (laughs) But I think you've got the history of, you know, people just say, wine and cheese, wine and cheese. Right. So, you know, you've got a a big battle to, to... went there.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And would these, would the beers be well-suited to the cheeses? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. We, I would give each participant the cheese about a week in advance. Okay. So they had some time to play around and, and come up with a perfect pairing.
4: Oh, okay. Okay. So it really, it was a good, that the beer could have won. Oh, yeah. And it did often. Mm-hmm. But at the, at the end of the bout,
2: more often than not, wine won by a nose.
4: By, it, it had more votes or more more wins?
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. But
4: also this is a festival that's real
2: heavy with wine drinkers, too.
4: So. Ah. Oh, well, you got to keep them out. <laughs>
5: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that brings up a good point. I mean, that, that kind of was the central... Um, Not the central, but one of the central goals of the book was to open people's minds to, you know, other pairings, Mm -hmm. not just wine.
3: Yeah.
5: Um, As Steve mentioned, everybody thinks cheese and wine. You know, it's just ingrained into our heads. Right. But um, people far less often think about cheese and beer or cheese and cider. Mm -hmm. Um, And we really wanted to help level the playing field a little bit.
4: Oh, good. Good. I mean, I, as a beer lover myself, new to it, but still way more fond of it than wine, uh, I, I, you know, I. that's one of the reasons why I like your book so much. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's beer, beers first. And <laughs> I, I feel like I have to go try all the different types now. And I'm I'm pretty uh IPA oriented and now I understand why my cheeses haven't gone so well with my beers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, hoppy beers are the worst to pair with. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I feel
2: like hops are a, a megaphone that just screams like bitter
3: <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It it really
2: latches on to any flavor Mm-hmm. But, if, if there's a sheepy note, it'll latch onto that sheepy note. Uh huh. You know, if there's a bitter note, it'll really accentuate it. Mm
4: hmm. So hops are tough. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm. That's why. That's my first uh, adventure post book is to find all the unusual, more unusual beers with the recommended cheeses and try them out. That's my plan. Excellent. <laughs> <Very good plan. laughs> anyway, well, I want to thank you. I'm sorry for the the difficulty hearing each other. Uh, I hope our listeners persevere and uh, it's been great talking to you both. Uh, I encourage our listeners to buy your book as soon as it comes out. When is it coming out?
5: March 19th.
4: Ah, okay. And uh, thank you very much. Thanks,
3: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter